um, this morning, I, uh, I do want to get into uh, looking at Psalm 1 uh, with you. But before I do, I want to talk about something uh, that I just have kind of been thinking about, and I've been trying to get it straight, thinking over and over, and it's, it's been on, uh, on my mind and on my heart for about a month, and, and that is this. And it's kind of heavy, but, you know, it's going to just, like, i got to just uh, say it the best I can. And that is that, uh, you know, we, we see Christians that claim to be Christians, and there's no evidence of it. There's no sanctification process going on in their lives. And then we see people that used to be Christians, faithful Christians, serving the Lord apparently with all their heart and mind and soul, and today they're nowhere to be found. And eventually um, it starts to weigh on you, and you start to wonder what is going on. And uh, the, the, I go 360, I come all the way back to the starting point and just say that I just really believe that they have not been presented with the true gospel. Uh, most people will, uh, I know in my lifetime, I've had people run to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm having a financial breakdown. My house is falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. I lost my job. Uh, and on and on. I, I, I'm grieving over a loss of a loved one, whatever it is. And uh, the first thing I've wanted to say, and I am guilty of this in the past, is listen, you need to find yourself a good church. You need to find Jesus. And, uh, and, and, but you know what? That's, that's not the whole story. Because the whole story is that what really needs to happen there is those ones that are hurting, the ones that are really looking for an answer. They need to find out what the true gospel is. The true gospel is that we're sinners by nature. And Jesus came, okay, to pay the price for that sin. In exchange for that price, we got his, we were sanctified. We were justified. And uh, that's the exchange to just leave people with, find a church, find Christ. All it's going to do is lead to a false conversion. Because later on down the road, uh, there's going to be another issue. Maybe temporarily, you know, their marriage will be healed. Maybe that healing in their body will go away. Maybe their financial situation will heal up. But when that same situation comes up again, if they have not heard the true gospel, they're going to fall away. I think sometimes that when I look at Ray Comfort, what he's doing, how he'll go right away and challenge people with the moral law and have them look in the mirror and bring out the Ten Commandments in front of them and say, hey, if you're a good person, um, what makes you so good? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever committed adultery in your heart? And when people start looking at themselves as the Ten Commandments, that moral law being in the mirror and looking back on themselves, they'll realize how depraved we are as human beings and how much we need Jesus Christ. We need to be rebuilt from the inside out. So then we can go out and multiply and be disciples for Christ. Amen? Okay, thank you. Um, so let's pray before I um, get into the, into the Word this morning. Father, I thank you, God, that uh, you are all merciful. You are almighty. You are all loving. You're such a gracious God. In spite of our 
Um, in spite of our faults, you continue to love us. You continue to bring us through. And Lord, I pray that uh, the words that come out of my mouth this morning are words that uh, you're blessed by. I pray, God, hearts are opened and lives are changed. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to talk briefly um, about the book of Psalms and give you a little um, history on what's exactly going on in the book. It is a collection of 150 separate psalms. This makes it the longest book in the Bible. Uh, it contains the shortest chapter, and it contain, contains the longest chapter, Psalm 119. And also in the middle of the very Bible is Psalm 118. The book itself is actually a collection of five different books. So as you go through Psalms, you'll see book one, book two, book three. Those who originally composed this hymnal for Israel chose to break it into five parts. The Psalms are written by a variety of men, the most prominent being David. It was David who wrote nearly half of the Psalms. Other authors include Moses, Solomon, Asaph, the sons of Korah, Ethan, Heman, in addition, some 50 psalms are attributed to no author at all. Because the book of Psalms is a collection of separate songs written by separate men, its coming together took approximately 1,000 years. From Moses, 1400 B.C., to the Babylonian exile, 500 B.C. Um, I grabbed this from my study Bible, and this is a brief description of how it talks about psalms. The basic theme of Psalms is living real life in a real world where two dimensions operate simultaneously, a horizontal or temporal reality and a vertical reality. Without denying the pain of the earthly dimension, the people of God are to live joyfully and dependently on the promises standing behind the heavenly eternal dimension. All human troubles and triumphs provide occasions for expressing complaints, confidence, prayers, or praise to our sovereign God. In Psalms, the sinfulness of man is documented not only through the behavioral pattern of the wicked, but also by the periodic stumbling of believers. Life often seems to be out of control, and yet all events and situations are understood in the light of divine providence and being right on course with God's timetable. The last thing we need to understand as we look at Psalm 1 is that every book in the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus says it himself in Luke 24 that all Scripture points to him. Luke 24, 27 reads this. Then the beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then again, in John 5.39, it says this. You examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. This is true for every book in the Bible. The pointing of Jesus comes in two forms, prophecies and foreshadowing. 
regarding prophecies, the book of Psalms contains more prophecies about the coming of Jesus than any other Old Testament book. It is interesting to know that the book of Psalms is quoted more by the New Testament authors than any other book in the Old Testament. It is referenced in one way or another approximately 112 different times in the New Testament. So with that, let's look at our scripture reading for today. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, would you please stand? This is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've been looking at this psalm now for um, at least the last month or two. Every day I think I've read it over. And uh, I just think that it's such a relevant word for today. Um, so as we get into it, um, we'll be explaining it. This wisdom psalm, it's called the wisdom psalm, because it instructs us to God's will. It basically functions as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. Its theme is as big as the whole Bible because it tells of people's paths and ultimate destinations. In this text, we see the comparison of two individuals, the righteous and the wicked. In these two descriptions fall every man. In the eyes of God, you are either one or the other. There is no such thing as a middle ground when it comes to your standing before God. This totally amazes me when I read this. If any one of us was called home this very instant, before God, you're righteous or you're wicked. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no standing before God trying to bargain with him, trying to explain through things. And yet, we see a world, a wicked world right now that we live in, that just goes on and lives life every day with no fear of God. They, have no, they had more fear over a virus that really brought our nation to its knees in the past couple of years. More fear over that than where their eternal home is going to be. We see this reality mentioned a number of times throughout the Bible. In Matthew 25, 
Jesus talks about the coming day of judgment. Jesus says that on that day, he will separate the sheep and the goats. The sheep will come into the kingdom of God, and the goats are sent to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We see it again in Matthew 13, 30, where we see Jesus talking about the final judgment. And he uses the comparison of of wheat and weeds. And he says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And again, a few verses later, in Matthew 13, 47, Jesus says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's very interesting. And when Jesus is drawing a line in the sand regarding humanity, it is not uncommon for him to warn us that if we're on the wrong side of that line, we're not going to make it into heaven. We're going to be going to hell. We see this warning in the text today. For the righteous stand in the congregation and the wicked perish. It is noteworthy that the word righteous used in this passage does not mean sinless. In Psalm 14, and again in Psalm 53, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of mankind to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have brought, become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wow, if this doesn't talk about uh, total depravity, um, to us as, as human beings. It's, it couldn't be more clear. This tells us that no one is good. No one is righteous. We know that it is only Jesus who is truly righteous. The author of Psalm 1 is not talking about being sinless, but by having a right position or standing before God. So how is someone righteous in a Psalm 1 sense. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ. It is by believing in God we can stand in the congregation. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. That is what Jesus called Peter in Matthew 16.16. After Peter confessed that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah, he said, blessed are you. Blessed 
are you, Simon Barjona? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It is how Jesus began the greatest sermon ever preached. I did not know Pastor was going to speak on the Sermon on the Mount last week when I was preparing my message. Um, but it just so happened that way. Jesus preached the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed. These are Jesus' words, using the word blessed. Blessed is like the favor of God with grace added to it. It's exactly what it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is not a coincidence that the book of Psalms begins in the same way. So who is the blessed in our passage? The psalmist starts with the negative and then moves to the positive. First he says that a blessed person is one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. With each one of these descriptions, walking, standing, and sitting, we can see an escalation of evil or an increase in the hardness of one's heart. That's what it's talking about here. Walk, stand, and sit. So what does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? It simply means seeking advice from a fallen, broken, sinful world. Unfortunately, this is a common practice of most people and sometimes even Christians. When in uncertain, where do you seek advice? Oprah? Dr. Phil? An unsaved psychologist? Celebrities? Magazines? Unsaved co-workers? Or friends? Each one of those people, if they have not received Christ in their life, are spiritually blind and have no hope of giving you Christ-exalting counsel. This leads to our next phrase, nor stand in the way of sinners. Another way to think about this is taking the wide and easy path that leads to destruction that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and the way is broad and leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. It is like following the way of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2. It is standing against God, and with sinners, those who miss the mark. It's awfully quiet in here. You know what? Honestly, every single time I go and I start looking 
and, I, and, I, and I start getting my message ready. Um, this is good. This is good news. This is warnings for us as Christians, especially in the day and age that we live. This is a great warning. And besides, if we're in the Word, if we're in love with the Lord and we're, and we're you know, reading in His Word, we're the blessed ones. That's what this psalm is talking about. Lastly, the psalmist says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is the final act of rebellion. Not only does this person seek advice against God and implement it, but then they mock those who do not follow suit. They begin to teach others and ridicule those who do not accept their sinful opinion. And regarding these three descriptions of walking, standing, and sitting, I cannot help but see the connection with the current status in America regarding marriage, abortion rights, gender identity, and many, self, many self-proclaimed Christians and churches have sought counsel from the world, chosen to stand with the disobedient, and now they scoff at those who do not join in with their sinful ways. They mock those who have read and accepted Romans 1. I do not have Romans 1 down here, but I know Romans 1, that eventually those that have hardened their hearts against the Word, God turns them over to their sin. And we see God's wrath fall upon their lives. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, says, As I urged you upon my departure, this is Paul speaking, for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to more speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is to love with a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion. There are many other scriptures on this subject. The people who reject the text and the truth in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 says they are like chaff. They are blown about with the ever-changing wind of this fallen world. As scripture teaches, this is not the pathway to blessed. It is not the pathway to happiness. Love does not win. It is destroyed. This walking, standing, and sitting leads only to one destination, perishing. The blessed ones are those that delight in the law of the Lord or delight in the instruction of the Lord, which includes all of the Scriptures. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The blessed is not someone who reads the Bible whenever trouble appears, but is someone who delights in God's Word. Psalm 1, verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. The man who... De- The man who meditates on the law day and night will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. I I just want to talk for one second about that word, prospers, because um, it's not talking about Temporal or our material prosperity here. It's talking about spiritual and eternal prosperity. I don't think that um, it, I don't think uh, too many prosperity teachers are going to talk about Psalm one, verse three, when it says that he that is planted by streams of water will prosper. Because we know here that we're talking about meditating on the law day and night. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. Any of you that are gardeners out there, any of you that, you know, like to plant flowers, I don't know how many of us like to plant trees. That's a little harder. But you'll know that water is a major source to keep that tree, to keep those flowers, to keep that grass growing. So what does it mean to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water? To be like a tree planted by streams of water is to be one who has a regular supply of nourishment and refreshment. Can you guys see the simile here? Between being planted by the Word and drawn from the Word to, be, to draw refreshment and nourishment, right? Plants growing near water are easily sustained and can thrive. Water is the ultimate source of life for a tree. So to be planted by the water is to have regular supply of life itself. This means that a tree planted by the water will grow to be strong and sturdy and have a good root system. This is talking about Christians in the Word. You're going to grow to be strong and sturdy have a good root system against an evil world that you're going to be faced with each and every day. This means that a tree planted by the water will grow to be strong and sturdy and have a good root system. And also a tree will consistently bear fruit, which is one of its primary purposes. Finally, a well-watered tree has the ability to supply shade for anyone who is in need. Listen to this. In Jeremiah 
17.7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. The simile of a thriving tree is also used in Psalm 92, 12-15 to picture a godly person. The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. When we delight and meditate on the word of God, as the blessed man does here in Psalm 1, we too will be like a tree planted by streams of water. We'll be firmly rooted. Jesus, our ultimate source of life, will bring nourishment and refreshment through his word. We will regularly bear fruit. Galatians 5, and 23 teaches, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And again in John 15, 8, just a couple verses down, Jesus said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So I want to wrap it up, and I want to close just by bringing together some of the points I talked about here, just so we understand. Blessed is a condition granted by God. The favor of God with his grace added to it. The cedars of Lebanon, which we mentioned, which I mentioned in Psalm 92, 12 through 15. I looked up the cedars of Lebanon to find out what was so special about them. They're known for their long life, their lack of decay. They're 15 feet at the base and they grow to be 100 feet tall. They have longevity, and they stand out amongst all of the other trees in Lebanon. So here, as we've gone through Psalm 1, we saw two escalating situations, walking, standing, sitting, but also we saw the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffers. Three actions turn out with three results. In Luke 9:62, Jesus said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 1 ends by saying, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord intimately acquaint, is acquainted 
with all that goes on in our life and the life of his people. And one day the wicked will perish. The man that is blessed treasures God's word and it causes him to think about God's instruction day and night. Reading the Bible is not about fulfilling a checklist. It is something that we soak in, we think through, we work it out, we analyze and we cling to it. It's our life. Psalm 1 says, The man that is blessed has been planted next to the Word of God. He has made the intentional decision to live life in accordance to God's Word. It is his standard for truth. It is his guideline to live by. As Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, This man is living on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here is the result. Fruit. The man planted by God's word is guaranteed to yield fruit. Matthew 13, 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. I'm going to close with this one last verse. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis uh, 1.28. And I want to read this. Actually, I'm going to start with uh, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here it is, that word blessed. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply.